0: You have to first lead from your chair. And then once you get into a position where we can count on you consistently, you can step forward and be an active leader. Sometimes it's not that guy that does all the talking. Sometimes it's just just that guy that says at halftime, just watch me and play like I play. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. And get on board. I'm Les Miles, and this is Less Is More. Today, before we get started, I just wanted to join a national issue that uh, that we're all kind of dealing with. We wanted to. Say a few words about the, uh, the tragedy at uh, the First Baptist in uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas, where a, uh, an ex-military man went into a church and killed 25% of the congregation. 26 passed and 24 were injured. It's this is difficult time, difficult sledding. I can't imagine bringing a gun to church as a, as a coach who's supposed to have answers, I don't have a lot of answers for these. I think reflection is maybe the best thing that you can do. I would turn to your to your maker and to your religious beliefs because that's what I do. We have certainly condolences for those people who lost loved ones. And, uh, and dear Lord, we, we pray for those that pass and that, that you find a, a place for them just felt like we needed to, to share with the, uh, with the people that listen. You know, when I run into a time where it's difficult sledding, I think about my father. I was a heavyweight wrestler at 212, 211 pounds. I uh, played football and had some conflict in, in life, which everybody does. When you have kids... It's, it's important that they are on good, solid ground and you know that, that they can deal with what's going on. And uh, I think that he gave me the understanding of, you know, being able to handle conflict and crisis, and it uh, makes a tremendous difference. My dad's name's Hope Miles, Hope Cecil Miles. 6'5", 320, um, in pretty good shape. He was a football player. I saw him in his 30s outrun a center fielder for $5. And uh, he ran around a 10-1, probably about a 10-3. But he would say 10-1 in 100, 100 yards. He was my greatest advocate. Whatever I put my mind to, whatever, he said, you can do it. So I'm about 10. Maybe nine at the time, snowing like hell in Larry, Ohio. And my dad came home early, unusually. He would never come home early, four o'clock or so. But I had come from school the wrong way. I mean, he recognized that why would you take that longer way, you know? And, and I said to him, Well, it's pretty simple, Dad. I said, uh, This guy was taking my lunch money, and uh, mom told me to avoid him. My dad said, What was this guy's name? I said, Bobby Piper. So Bobby Piper basically had the bottleneck at this one turn towards school. He was one of those guys that was just immediately big, you know, tall. And uh, you paid the tariff. I mean, for me, uh, lunch money at that time was about a quarter. I mean, he was making a good living. So I told dad, he said, we're not doing that. I said, no. He says, here's what you're going to do next time you're gonna walk right up the street where you normally go. And when he says, do you give me your lunch money? You say, no. I said, dad, he's gonna beat me up. And he said, these guys get tired of fighting. If you just say no, they get tired of fighting. And I said, okay. And then he said to me, I'm gonna take you to school tomorrow. Oh, I had the big man, are you kidding me? I was, I had everything I needed at that point. I'm walking right over there, and I'm, I'm just as happy as I can be. My dad in the car, oh, this is going to be just what you want. So I walk across. He said, Miles, give me your money. I said, no. He said, what did you say? I said, no. He pushed me down, then took my shoes off, threw them in the water. My pleather jacket kind of slid into the slush of the ditch right in the middle of that area and the water was kind of coming underneath the jacket and he left and so I got up out of the water and I looked at my dad and I thought to myself where in hell were you did you just see that man throw me down in the water and it took my shoes off and threw the shoes in the water too are you kidding me those are my Sunday shoes I mean, I'm looking at him like, did you forget? Did you see it? Were you like, did you, were you distracted? How how did you not help your son who was getting beat up by a guy that was twice his size? He gets out of the car. And I'm looking at him with all those thoughts. He comes over. He says, come on, let's get your shoes. And I says, dad, why didn't you why he come? He says, I'm telling you, he don't want to do that every day. It didn't pay him. He didn't get any money. I said, okay, and so basically I'd set up a routine now where I was going right there, okay? And sometimes I'd ride a bike, and I'd put the bike in overdrive during that area, and he would not catch me. Then if he caught me, then he and a buddy named Stephen Roth, and I hope that Stephen Roth, because Stephen Roth and I used to be tight, except he went to the big guy side so that he'd get a cut of the, of the the of the money, right? Okay, exactly, right, a little profit on this deal. And so... It got so obvious that that I was going up there to get beat up. I mean, people would say in the neighborhood, "Hey, Les, where you going? You go up there and get your butt kicked again." I said, "Yeah," just exactly what happened. I went over there, and there it was. I bet you, I got beat up nine times until I grew up a little bit. Right? Okay. So, my dad was sitting in the front room in the in the uh, small house that we lived in and had his boxer shorts on. And I come in, I'd gone to the store, which is, that's down the store, down the way, to uh, uh, get him some some goodies. You know, goodies, ice cream, cakes. I came in and I saw that right across the street from my house, Larry Reglinger was just about getting a fight with Bobby Piper. I put my bike down and I handed it to dad and I said, I'm going over here and I'm gonna fight Bobby Piper. He says, I'm gonna be watching Duke and so I, I handed him the stuff and then I go I throw the bike down and I go across the street I said you can't beat up Larry Reglinger." I said says, I said says, let's, let's do this again here's what my dad taught me he said okay listen it's jab jab punch so I stood up like that and I put my hands like this and I turned and I faced him and so he moved to the right. I forgot all that, all that training that my father had given me, right? He moved off to the right. I, t- I took my hands and put, opened them and kind of looked like, oh, you know, here we go. And so we kind of clenched, you know, and then I turned, squiggled, and then I put him down on the ground, and then I hit him one time, okay? And he had like, his nose started to bleed just a little bit, you know? And he said, hey, oh, well. I'm good, I'm out. And I never worried about him again. I never called his name. I never saw him in high school. The neighborhood got off because they realized that the, there wouldn't be a bottleneck at that part in the, in the road. Bobby Piper was gonna go down in his ta- taxes, right? And he never was an issue from that point forward. I played in a big man sport. And I never really was intimidated by tall, big guys. I just never, never was. And I wrestled, I wrestled all guys. I wrestled in the heavyweight division. I was never intimidated by size and height. And when I coached, I didn't mind being an underdog. There was never anybody that I felt like we'd take the field. We just couldn't whip their tail, just because. I think it. Uh, I think Hope Miles had a little something to do with that. And when I. Coached, I didn't mind being an underdog. There was never anybody that I felt like we'd take the field and we just couldn't whip their tail. Just because I think it, uh, I think Hope Miles had a little something to do with it.
1: Guys, let's start out with the drama in the Big Ten East this weekend. Both Ohio State and Penn State took tough losses on the road. What do you guys think?
0: Ohio State came. To Iowa and did not remember how difficult it is to play at Iowa. That is a loud crowd. That is a cool climate. And uh, J.T. Barrett started off difficult. John, he threw a pick six, and then proceeded to throw more. Any time that you get blown out, and especially an Ohio State team, it has to do with turnovers. And this is no. This is exactly the. what happens you turn the ball over and you get beat by 30 points well
2: it was a perfect storm I think for uh, for Iowa and that situation and obviously uh, urban uh, you know talked to his team but I never saw this one coming you know JT Beard had only thrown one interception all year and he coming off a tremendous game against Penn State uh, emotional game and then uh, to proceed to throw four interceptions. Uh, we all know what a uh, difficult place it is to play Iowa. They, uh, they crushed Michigan's hopes last year. Uh, similar, coming down the stretch, we lost to Iowa, and then uh, that was a, a backbreaker. But, you know, you can never, ever take them lightly uh, down there in Iowa City. And uh, they had a great game plan, and they executed it. But
0: for them to hang half a 100 on
2: Ohio State, uh, mm. I would have lost that bet.
0: No, me too. There isn't mm-hmm. any question.
1: And that's a heartbreaker for them because it gives them their second loss, like you said, which pretty much I don't think a two-loss team is getting into the playoffs. And then it also takes away, like you said, the Heisman candidacy for J.T. Barrett. But you can't win big games. You can't win games against quality opponents with four interceptions. So they're going to have to regroup and get back to the drawing board and stop celebrating last week's win.
0: Yeah. The uh, Penn State-Michigan State thing, I, uh, I really thought Penn State was the more talented team it with um, Trace McSorley, the quarterback, and certainly Saquon Barkley, and I really just kind of expected that they would, you know, play a very close game, but you know, do the things they're supposed to do to win. And Michigan State had other plans. Michigan State plays a Mark Dantonio. I can't I can't say enough about how he's coaching and how he's uh, motivating his team because. They, uh, they, came, they come to play. You line up against the Michigan State team, they're going to be physical. They're going to take care of the ball. And if you make mistakes, they're going to capitalize on it.
2: You've got to be ready to play four quarters against them. And,
0: uh, you know, it's the perfect setting for Michigan State.
2: They, they love it when they come into East Lansing. Um, they love being the underdog. Uh, that's when they play their best is when they're the underdog. they got a chip on their shoulder. I'm like with you, less Penn state uh, on paper, way more talented, obviously offensively with those, those great players at quarterback and running back, but Michigan state has a way of taking away your strengths. And they, and if you let them hang around, you know, for four quarters, uh, they have find a way and they've done it over the last couple of years. They upset Ohio state a couple of years ago down there in Columbus. And they just have a way of, of, of pulling those things out and, you know, a lot of credit goes to Coach Antonio. He's done a great job, obviously rebounding from last year's season, and you know, putting them in a, in really the driver's seat for the Big Ten East title if they beat Ohio State uh, this week.
0: Hey, John Smack, how about James Franklin mm-hmm. going into the locker, virtually chasing a player off the field to grab him, to have him come back and shake hands with the team that they just played. Um, how did you? How did you guys? Uh, how did that resonate? Uh, you know the way you saw it.
1: I love it. I love how he took it as first things first. You know he didn't skip straight to getting after the X's and O's. He went to making sure that guy was going to be a sportsman and a man. And so I love that. I think it's really important to see that that challenge. It, I think it's really important in challenging times to see still see the great aspects of athletics, yeah. and that is sportsmanship and competition and being able to take a tough loss and still be a man about it.
2: A great tribute uh, to Coach Franklin, and, and that's what sports is about, right? And, and to be able, like you said, to do it in adverse conditions uh, when you know you just took a crushing loss, uh, your second crushing loss in a week, and for him to have the presence of mind to go do that, um, teach a life lessons, and that's really – Uh, when it all comes and and said and done, right, that's what what coaching is. And and he's a great coach, obviously can recruit X's and O's and a wonderful job. But when you see that side of him, that he's doing more than just coaching X's and O's, uh, it's really impressive and uh, speaks volumes about Coach Franklin.
0: You know what? The thought that he had to go across the field and shake hands with uh, Coach D'Antonio and saw one of his players exiting the field, just get me out of here. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a part of this. And he ran over there, grabbed him, insisted that he return to his team, and then he came across and found the coach. I, I thought that was a tremendous mark of sportsmanship, and it lets you know that those guys that are not going to play in the NFL, that, that go to Penn State, they're getting a lot more than an education, you know, from the classroom they're getting a as you said life's lessons and made the uh and it'll make him make a a uh, a difficult time in his future more translatable in other words something that he would be able to draw back on hey listen I remember the time walking off the field and I made a mistake and so he'll tell his son and that thing that'll have a ripple effect for years um hats off to James Franklin great job
1: and speaking of coaching, what do you do on a four-hour weather delay, Dad? Did, would you appreciate that extra time? Or no, I got—I got to tell about you right guys now. Getting cold and out of focus. Yeah,
0: here's here's what I saw. I saw the Penn State players catching ball, catching food with their mouth. Did anybody else see that in in a in a highlight? No, I'm serious. They I were those. Was basically, that. they were they took taking their shoulder pads off, and they were catching food particles being tossed to them by their teammates, you know, obviously in a moment of enjoyment and relaxing. Uh, I don't know if that's quite exactly what I would want uh, kind of focused on uh, in in the, uh, in that time. I don't know that uh, there was any issues with basically reviewing film or reviewing the game plan or reviewing all those things and then trying to predict, that time where you say, hey, "Listen, take take 20 minutes, relax. I don't want any music. I want you to be comfortable. Get off your feet." I don't know that that uh, that the uh, the drop in the bucket game where you take a uh, a piece of food and throw it to your buddy and see if that buddy can catch it with his with his mouth is exactly what I would have him do. It really- but it
1: does make for a great time at the Japanese steakhouses with the family,
0: dad, come on. <laughs> that is a fact. That is a fact. The Japanese <laughs> steakhouses. it always, when
2: you have some kind of snafu, whether it's a delay or the lights go out or whatever, it just seems like it, it energizes the underdog, even though it's the same, obviously situation for both teams.
0: Yeah. The, um, yeah, it was, it was always put to me just in discussion with a, really a number of coaches that, I can remember when we at Michigan went to Wisconsin and we played in a cloudy, rainy, ugly day. And I can remember the Wisconsin coaches that you knew say, yeah, I know our kids somehow have attached themselves to this kind of day and they like playing in it. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I can remember that, that philosophy. In other words, that the snow um, or the rain and the cold of the wind – would in some way affect the, the, uh, the guy that was expected to win more than the underdog. I, uh, I, uh, I kind of I hear that. If I'm the underdog, I hear that a lot. If, if I'm not the underdog, I don't believe in it at all. <laughs> well, there's the familiar whistle. Uh, we got some help uh, this week from Reddit College Football. We did some AMAs, which will be exciting. And uh, here we go.
2: Hey Les, Landon here. I was curious how uh, being on the outside of, of coaching this year has changed your perspective on on, on coaching styles and uh, how you view the game of football. Thanks.
0: Kind of what I've done in my career is train to operate inside lines, and you know, being in the media and being in the perimeter and looking at game plans and. And style of play, it really uh, affirmed a lot of the things that I was doing. I mean, the first statistic about determining and guessing who would win is just look at the turnover ratio. I think we coached that hard defensively. We were looking for takeaways and and uh, interceptions. You know, attacking the ball at the highest point and. We not only talked about it, but we trained it and we had drills that would operate it. I think that uh, I think that, that is affirmed, that being said. There's some similarities to what is a great football team in my past that are very, very consistent today. Crisp tackling and crisp blocking and... Knowing exactly what you want to do and how to attack a specific defense or how to um, attack a specific offense. If you look at uh, Alabama, who's currently the number one, uh, number two ranked team behind Georgia, um, I think you see a, a, a tried and true relationship between rushing the football, being able to stop the rush. Defend the pass, not turn it over, and put the ball in your best player's hands. Being a long-used historical advantage for that team that employs that uh, that strategy, I uh, I think there was some change, but I think it's more technical and how guys are reading certain passes and. How, uh, how the defense is changing their reads on, on formations. And I think so, some of those things are, are fun to, to, to work through and get advantages um, at. But I think those tried and true will always be there. Rush it. Defend the rush. Be able to stop the pass. Don't turn it over and take Takeaways: Get the ball away from your opponent. Make the opponent put the ball down. Hey, coach. This is Jackson in New Orleans. I was just calling to ask you a quick question about your career when you were a little bit younger. Let's say hypothetically, you had an opportunity when you were you know young, coaching in mid twenties or early
1: thirties, to go to the Ohio State University assuming that they were offering you a lot more money or more prestige, a higher position, et cetera, et cetera, would you have taken that job? Thank you.
0: (laughs) That is a great question. I was born and raised uh, in a uh, a, uh, town in Ohio, and uh, certainly uh, growing up I uh, was a Buckeye fan and both the – the uh, great Woody Hayes and Coach Chem Beckler recruited me, and uh, I chose uh, Bo to, uh, to follow and, and to um, learn football from as a player and as a coach. And I got very comfortable wearing blue and maize, and I uh, would have had a very difficult time going to Ohio. From a Michigan position, Ohio is a great school and a, uh, a educationally superior, a uh, a, a great uh, athletic department. And I, I knew a number of guys on that team, and uh, it would have been an honor to be considered um, to uh, an Ohio State uh, coaching position. I'm glad I never was was charged with that decision because it would have been difficult on me. But uh, I probably would have, in, at the right time, asked Bo, and Bo would have been able to tell me because he coached at Ohio State uh, under Woody Hayes um, before he was the head coach at the Miami uh, Redskins in uh, Miami at Miami University uh, in Ohio, um, and then left there to go to Michigan. So there was a, an Ohio boy from Barberton, Ohio, Bo Schembechler, who uh, was a left-handed pitcher and also um, coached at uh, Ohio State before he was named head coach at the uh, uh, Miami University in uh, Ohio. So um, I guess the answer is, is I would talk to my old coach, especially because he had been around he did give me great, great direction there. Okay, this is one of my AMA questions. Everyone loves to be a backseat coach, but what aspects of coaching are least understood or appreciated by the fans? The difficult things are when uh, one of your players has a uh, personal issue, a uh, family member is sick, maybe a uh, new child is expected. You know at at times you put football in the back burner and you you promote the understanding of certain times your family comes first, certain times the uh your presence at a family function say a funeral is more important than being at a practice so uh those are difficult times. Those um, those young men have to make decisions that reflect his family and their needs and a team and that team's needs. And the question is, which coach was most difficult to prepare and plan uh, for? Um, and I, uh, I, I'm going to go with two. I uh, felt like lining up against a uh, Nick Saban-coached uh, Alabama defense was as as difficult to game plan um, to have success um, as as you could uh, could imagine. The uh, we knew where they were going to line up, but technically, their their abilities to play that spot. Um, because that's really all they focused on, and their personnel was pretty special, and it was difficult uh, to manufacture protection and runs. Because, you know, he was he had taught a uh, a uh, kind of a knockback um, defensive philosophy. In other words, they would line up guys on the inside of tackles, and when the ball was snapped, they would deliver a blow and a charge to the inside half of that that offensive tackle and the offensive tackles had not really been ready for that style of play. Generally speaking certain people line up outside the tackles um, sometimes the tackles are uncovered and, and many times when they line up inside they line up on the guard so it's a nice comfortable down block but when you line up an inside shade on an offensive tackle, the technique work there for you to be prepared to play them was, you know, certainly one issue. Um, the other issues of the way he brought, he brought blitz, um, gave protection, um, worries to our, uh, our backs and our tight ends who had to, at times, you know, help that quarterback get a ball off. And, uh, but uh, that uh, defensively, it was Nick Saban. The uh, offensively, I felt like Urban Meyer with the uh, the Tim Tebow style of of quarterback. Um, really, you know, they won two national championships there, and um, you know what what a great success that they had. But what what he drove home was the greatest play action was the play action that involved a quarterback pretending to run up in the line of scrimmage with a running play to bring the safeties to the line of scrimmage to stop that running play and throw then what would be one-on-one coverage um, and leverage that you could really just predict the field. In other words, if the leverage on the corner was outside then you were going to have the middle of the field wide open. If the leverage of the corner was on the inside because it was a man call and they knew that they had no safety help, then you could push inside and give a nice corner route leverage, and it would be very difficult, very difficult to um, defend that play. And again, Tim Tebow could pull it down and then run it and give you just a headache. So... Strategically, I think both those coaches knew those spots really well, and I, uh, I, give, them, I give them a uh, compliment about being a very difficult team and a very difficult coach to game plan against.
1: Let's talk about the game that had over 1,400 combined yards. That could only be the Bedlam game.
0: Mm, mm, mm. I'm telling you right now, John.
1: At what point are you just watching bad defenses, seriously?
0: Okay, I, that that that's what I was saying. But Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield <laughs> came to play. Now let's just tell it the way it was. I mean, oh, knock me over with a feather, Les. Oh, <laughs> knock me over with a feather. Hey, I, I've been telling you all year. You you, you have, and it. I want you to know, I have to I have to give that man his due. He he came out there and he was gonna he was gonna score more than the other guy, and it was just that simple. I smack. I love defense. I think I think championships or one with defense there's got to be a few more stops for the for the Cowboys they they have to find a f- couple of ways to get that that uh, that Oklahoma passing game stopped so that they can throw it and pass and, and score i'm telling you right now you know i, I made a uh, a comment about bullet bullet is the mascot at Oklahoma state and he comes running out every time that the Oklahoma state team scores at halftime, it was needed 30. They
1: bullet on defense.
0: That's right. They, they at halftime, it was 38-38. I think they had to give a bullet to my V's because he was he was being brought out, it seemed like, every three minutes.
2: I was just saying, the amount of big plays in one game, I mean, I'm, you know, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, up and down the field. And, and Baker's jumping up and down on the sidelines and running up and down the sidelines after every big play. I mean, it was... It was bedlam. It really was.
0: Yeah, it looked like bedlam with with both teams going up and down. I mean, you just really did not know how much time at the end of the game down 10 points that frankly they could probably they could probably come back depending on what what length of time that they would need to score twice. So I uh mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, I would I,
1: be very curious. So so Baker Mayfield says OU school record for five hundred and ninety eight yards. And I would just be really curious to know which players and by how much, if any players have ever put up more yards against a ranked opponent. I mean that was a top fifteen matchup that he put almost six hundred yards on. That's unbelievable.
0: No, you're right. I mean it's unbelievable yeah. that they didn't drop a ball or two. I mean, they threw the football a ton in that game. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm,
2: mm,
1: mm. And then, on the other hand, Mason Rudolph also played well for the most part with the exception of two interceptions. Obviously, you can't have an exception of two interceptions. But that really was one of the biggest differences in the game, those two possessions. They were scoring so much, you can't lose two possessions.
0: Yeah, but in the same vein, when you throw the ball as often as that and then a tipped ball or there's there's so much that's, that even an interception – is not necessarily the the quarterback doesn't necessarily have to uh, own that. It can it can be a, a receiving um, miss miss route. It can be you know a lot of things other than uh, Mason Rudolph. So, but uh, it just puts so much pressure
2: when you're both scoring and the pace is so frenetic. Right, you're both scoring, and if you have one miscue and the other guy doesn't score, you don't score. Then you're down 14, you know, it magnifies itself. That's the tough thing because they were so, both of them were just, you know, up and down the field.
0: Did you guys see the coaches in the postgame that after they finished second in the game, um, my my friend Mike Gundy looked like he had just, it looked miserable for him. And, and uh, uh, Urban Meyer, uh, it looked miserable. I can imagine how bad I looked when you finish second in the game and you're especially when your team plays as hard and historically as capable as, as Mike's team in the, in the Bedlam series and um and certainly the uh, Urban Meyer Ohio State team I just there's some there's some strength that comes with standing in there and and uh, delivering that post game even though uh you finish second
2: mhm
0: Yep.
1: Speaking of finishing second, LSU gets beat by Alabama. Dad, you're in the studio for that. I was watching the game in New York City.
0: Watching the game in New York City was great fun. The uh, the CBS crew uh, helped me through and guided me sometimes roughly into my spots. So uh, I, uh, but I enjoyed it greatly. And uh, but uh, the game didn't quite turn out like we'd liked. I'd uh, I think I uh, I think the uh, the LSU team played hard. I think they were physical. Um, I, just, I just, in the, in the, as I looked at it, even at halftime, I said that Jalen Hurts has improved. He was about uh, three for four on third downs. He was, um, he hit intermediate passes routinely, and he could still make that defense run to catch him. And uh, now Arden Key played well, and and some of our guys played extremely well. I, I liked that uh, uh, linebacker, Devin White. Again, Devin White. Played awfully hard. But, you know, the, uh, the difference was, in my opinion, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts could hurt you with his feet and scrambled out of there and got yards. And then when he didn't, he'd extend a play and make a throw. And I just felt like that playmaker there made the difference. What you guys think? Mm-hmm. So that's the difference I, in college really football
2: now, right? You. When you have a kid who can do that, he can extending plays, you, know, with your feet, uh, escaping trouble and still being able to stand in there and throw. I mean that's that dimension, uh, and, and to see him evolve over the last couple of years. Uh, that puts another uh, another layer on what Alabama can do. I, I mean, we all know what they can run the football, and, and but when you've got a, a quarterback who's a dual threat, and who's improved like that, uh, that makes it that much more difficult to defense you know, their team.
1: I, mean, I agree with the Jalen Hurts stuff. He just, I watched him play early in the season last year as a true freshman against Ole Miss, and he had messed up a, a, quite a few times in the first half, and you could see Coach Saban yelling at him on the sidelines, and I think he'd fumbled it and thrown a pick. And, and then he led a major comeback in the second half, and that was when I knew. For a freshman to have Nick Saban yelling at him and all over him and then just come back and do better, I knew that he had the toughness and the poise to lead the team the way you want a quarterback to lead a team.
0: Well, that man has poise. He took some some significant licks and just bounced right up off the ground, never, never changed his facial expression, nothing. Just right back to the huddle and right back to the line of scrimmage, and here we go. I felt th- like I felt like, uh, I felt like he, he was the MVP of the, uh, of the day.
1: Guys, we're going to play a game where I'm going to read you guys some stats, and then you guys are going to tell me, without knowing who we're talking about, who your pick for Heisman would be. Obviously, this is current, so over halfway through the season, running back A has 1,368 rushing yards, 12 touchdowns, and 7.2 yards per carry, 41 total receiving yards, so not much of a receiver. Six games with at least 120 yards rushing and three games with more than 200 yards rushing, but no wins over ranked opponents. Running back B Has 864 rushing yards, 9 touchdowns, and 5.7 yards per carry, so not nearly as impressive as Candidate A so far, but 504 receiving yards and 2 touchdowns, so much more versatile. Three games with at least 100 rushing yards and 50 yards receiving and two kick returns for touchdowns and same no-wins over ranked opponents. Who's Who's your Heisman? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love this game. I a I I, I I somebody, somebody, shoot this piece of paper. I, thirteen hundred yards, a seven point two. If he played in a great league, he's a great back. That much you know. Um, Forty one. But no wins over ranked opponents. So well, no, but neither one of them league. have wins. Neither over one ranked.
2: does. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a wash. That's
0: right. No ranked yes,
2: true.
0: opponents. So now, forty-one receiving yards. Okay, now here's the next one. You have a a basically a thirteen hundred yard. It's I mean eight sixty-four rushing and five hundred four receiving. You're you know basically the thirteen sixty-eight. Okay, so what what you're saying is is virtually these guys are awash. wash. It just depends on if you enjoy the five hundred four or the thirteen sixty eight. The uh, it's well, that's the
1: question. Do you enjoy the five hundred four or the thirteen sixty eight?
0: That's correct. <laughs> the here's here's what I'm saying. I'm I'm buying the seven o the seven point two as a rusher, and I'm going to tell my coaches find a way to get him the ball in the air. But I know Nards that for I,
1: carry. Yeah, that's very se, important.
0: 702, 7.2 a carry. That's a huge average this late in the season i mean i don't know mm-hmm. who he is I, I gotta go with less on that I, I think that 702
2: just speaks volume or 7.2 speaks volumes you know obviously it's a wash on basically total offense for both of them but um the 7.2 is is spectacular um and you know maybe we do got to dump him the ball out of the backfield a little bit more to to balance him off but if he's at 1368 rushing the ball um again we don't know his competition but
0: i'd have to to
2: lean towards uh, running back a on this one as well y'all chose jonathan taylor as
1: opposed to saquon barkley
0: okay i'd have taken saquon barkley personally because i know <laughs> how fast he is but let me tell you what the what they're telling you about jonathan taylor there's the reason you got to know the team because Wisconsin is not playing the same um, teams that are being played in the other division of the Big Ten. So, uh, Taylor, that's a great point. Yeah. that's a great point. Yeah, they
2: they've uh, they've not played nearly the competition that the Big Ten East has. And Saquon, uh, based on the way they run their offense, uh, he could have thirteen hundred yards as well if they. You know, didn't throw him the ball as much and, and spread it around like they do. So, I would, uh, I would buy Saquon as well. Yeah,
0: Saquon's going against Michigan State, um, Michigan, Ohio State. I mean, just look at the defenses that he's going against. Whereas, and I and don't get me wrong, Jonathan Taylor, what a what a year he's having. I you know, thirteen sixty eight. I mean, seven point two a carry, um, and his team. Is a block in Jesse. I mean, that is a big offensive line that is knocking the heck out of people. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys, you know, factor. I think, uh, um, I think we, I think we got, I think we got stuck with the Jonathan Taylor pick, but I think it's probably a pretty good pick anyway.
1: Let's move on to predictions for the weekend. Georgia is at Auburn.
0: Georgia at Auburn It's going to be a very difficult place to play. I think the uh, I think the Auburn team is coming off what kind of what kind of game what kind of game did they just They game?
1: killed A&M at A&M by 20.
0: Yeah, but I want you to know something. I think that A&M played Alabama as good as anybody over the the uh, you know over their schedule. So I uh, I'm I'm buying the fact that Auburn had a big win against a and and is Auburn playing at Georgia? If it's playing at Auburn, no, Georgia again, at Auburn. again, impossible. Very difficult place to play. I think uh, I like uh, I like Auburn. I like Auburn,
2: too. I'm picking the Tigers. Uh, I, I think the home field situation, is Les mentioned, is very, very difficult to play. I think they know that their back's up against the wall and they need this one I mean not that Georgia doesn't need it but I just think the motivation for Auburn at home um, to get to get Georgia coming off that win against uh, A&M uh, I'm, I'm going
0: with the Tigers Smack what do you think? I
1: think that I, I'm going to go a little more football than either of y'all just went but I think that if Georgia can get the tape of Auburn playing at LSU and see the difference between the first and the second half being that the LSU defensive line affected Jared Sidham in the second half and made him completely ineffective, I think if they can watch that and kind of mimic that, they will have a great deal of success even at Auburn. So I'm going to go Georgia Bulldogs on that one.
0: I think that's a good pick, Smack. So you know, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great game.
1: And Notre Dame goes to Miami. Of course, I'm picking Miami because Mark Rick, I've picked him at least three times this year so far, and I have not been let down so far. I'm sticking with Miami. What about you guys,
2: Coach? I'm sticking with the U. I've been riding the U all year long, as you well know. Uh, coming off that big win, uh, Virginia Tech. Um, I think, especially playing there. Um, this is a, uh, a great rivalry uh, that's been immortalized on 30-on-30 uh, 30 30 on ESPN. I mean, it's, it's a great rivalry. I just think some reason, not that the Notre Dame have done a great job this year, and, but I just think there's some magic with Miami and Mark Rick uh, this season, and I'm buying it, and uh, I have all year, and they haven't let me down.
0: I think you got a great pick. I think that uh, I think the rivalry is something that I had not considered going into this. I think Mark Richt is doing a great job there. Um, I like the way this Notre Dame team is playing. I like Wimbush at quarterback. I think that they have a guy like um, uh, Jalen Hurts for Alabama, and I think that they can play defense. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, how that matchup will play. I look forward to watching the game, but I'm taking Notre Dame.
2: Wow.
1: How could you? There PCU you know. goes to Oklahoma. I'm guessing John's going to give us some Boomer Sooner love here.
2: <laughs> how am I – all year, I've been – them in Miami have been my, my two teams. I've been <laughs> rising and, and once again, Baker's going to step up big. I – you know, not that TCO isn't a formidable opponent. They're going to go down there, but it's at Oklahoma. Uh, I think coming off, they know what they have to do to, to be a factor in getting into the playoffs, and they got to take care of this one at home, and I think they will.
1: Oh, I'm thinking OU. I believe, yeah, I, I just think that traditional powers, I, it's really nothing against TCU, but having been to their stadium, if I'm a recruit, I pick OU. So I think that Oklahoma should have better athletes, I think. Bob Stoops left tons of great athletes, and I just don't see how Oklahoma
0: should manhandle TCU. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I, we're all in agreement. The uh, Oklahoma team is a uh, is a formidable force. Baker Mayfield, in my opinion, the defense that is just not getting a lot of love right now based on the fact that um, Oklahoma State just scored 52 on them. Um, I... Uh, mm-hmm. I think that they'll play with a little bit of a vengeance. The TCU team offensively has a quarterback that can throw the football and run it. And it can keep them in the game. It'll be very interesting. But uh, I'm, I'm like you. I think the, the bigger, more talented team, the more capable, and Baker Mayfield, I, I'm with Oklahoma.
1: And in an SEC West matchup, Arkansas goes to LSU.
0: They will kill Arkansas. They will, they will, this at home, they will just beat them to a pulp. Now, that is a uh, maybe an exaggeration, but uh, I think that uh, I think LSU. It's an 11 a.m. game. Mm.
1: You know, those Tiger fans are not happy about Just that.
0: two touchdowns. It's gone from 30 plus to two touchdowns. Okay. They didn't want to get up that early. <laughs> we did not want to have that much fun that early in the morning. And so we're, they won't go to sleep on Friday night. That's correct. They will not be that fired up to cheer in the sunlight in in Tiger Stadium. So I, uh, but Tigers win by two touchdowns minimum. Yeah, I,
2: I, you know, I I'm uh, I'm going with the, the Bayou Bengals. I think, uh, yeah, I think especially the way the season's been going for Arkansas, I, I don't see any way they're coming in to Baton Rouge and uh, and beating the Tigers. I think you know it'll be. Uh, it'll be uh, uh, a big win uh, with by a lot of points for LSU. Mm-hmm.
1: I agree completely. I don't think Arkansas has a chance in this game. I think that besides Alabama, I think that SEC West is probably weaker than it's been in 10 years. So I think this is an easy win for LSU and a timely easy win coming off the bangs and bruises from the Bama game. But I think LSU gets another
0: dub this weekend. Agree, Johnny Wangler. Thanks for being with us, babe. They uh, always, always a pleasure to hear your uh, your words of wisdom when it comes to football. And Smacker, do you uh, you give us the uh, the light in between the darkness in this show? We, uh, we hey, the rose in between two thorns. That's correct. Well, thanks for being with us today. We enjoy uh, doing this. It's fun for me to be with friends and family and talk football. If you want to ask some questions, which some of these questions are really doozy, uh, uh, call me at 833 uh, Less More and leave your question. And uh, we'll see if we can get to it on the air. And uh, in the meantime, have a great day. The Players